we go with the John Curley Sherry Elliker Show. You're coming along for the ride. Much appreciated. Here's something you'll probably be texting in on the Muckleshoe Casino Resort line. Our text line, one 973 DEI, Alive and Well, University of Washington. All right. I'm a fan of this guy because... He knows Barry Weiss, and if I could just spend two minutes with Barry Weiss just hugging her, telling her I love her. John Saylor, will you let her know that? John is a senior fellow over there at the National Association of Scholars, and I saw this piece that came out about a month, month and a half ago over at City Journal talking about University of Washington, an investigation that was done into the uh, was the, the Department of Psychology, and you sort of follow along as they had an opening, for a job, and uh, the applicants applied for the job, and um, unfortunately, a number of them weren't the right color. Uh, so then they said, "Well, we you know got to make sure we hire the the right color, you know." Um, and th- then when they realized they were hiring the wrong person or something, they were moving different people around. Basically, this seems to go against everything that I thought we all agreed in about 1964 when it came to the Civil Rights Act, that everybody be treated exactly the same. But it's not the case at University of Washington. Can you fill us in on some of the details you found, John? That's right. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of details to unpack in this story. Uh, And I really appreciate you having me on. But, you know, big picture... Uh, the University of Washington has a non-discrimination policy that says you can't hire someone on the basis of race. Uh, mm-hmm. Washington State has a law that says you can't discriminate on the basis of race and hiring. And the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 makes it very clear you can't hire someone on the basis of race. You can't not hire someone on the basis of race. And what I learned uh, through first a series of tips and then through acquiring a report issued by the University of Washington is this happened. It happened flagrantly uh, in the University of Washington's psychology department, and they put it all in email. It's really a remarkable story. The fact that it's all in email and then not only do that, then they have a, a handbook that they were bragging about to make sure that we get only the people that are the right color to apply. And then if somebody actually slips through and they're the wrong color, then how to get rid of that person or get them out of there. And it was really something. And it just says to me whether the fact that this is discrimination, this is systemic racism, as people like to call it, but they don't seem to have any problem with it. They were bragging about how they get the right color candidate for them. And then even when they were having a meeting, one of the faculty members that had to find the correct candidate said, you know, I'm uncomfortable when white faculty members are in on these meetings with us. It's just uncomfortable. Can we do something about that? At the National Association of Scholars, you guys have been following this DEI stuff across all campuses in the United States. Um, it. it can we can we just assume that oh it's only the University of Washington's psychology department this happens or do you think this is prevalent throughout much of the university here in Seattle? Yeah, well look at the look at what actually happened. Uh, the the can the job that was posted was supposed to be a DEI focused job. Now that does not mean that they said this is only for a particular race. That you know most people actually. Uh, uh, at least when they're writing job advertisements, know that that's going to get them in trouble. So it was a job Mm. where they were supposed to focus on DEI, 
And then uh, various members of the psychology department started speaking up when they ranked their top three candidates. And the first candidate was white, the second candidate was Asian, and the third ranked candidate was black. And back and forth over numerous email exchanges, uh, uh, people within the department spoke up and essentially said we were uh, uncomfortable with this decision. We didn't like this decision. They pushed back and essentially forced the holdout members of that search committee to change the ranking. And it was it was all on the basis of race. The, the conclusion of the University of Washington report says that very clearly. But what is interesting is, yeah, pretty much everyone within the department, everyone in these emails that are that are really meticulously documented in this report, they all pretty much act like that. That's OK. They all pretty yeah. much act like this is a legitimate decision. And I've seen that before. I've actually seen that quite a lot where people think that this is uh, uh, not against the law when, in fact, it's against all sorts of laws, uh, uh, especially in a state like like Washington. So, so I take this as an example of what is very likely uh, and almost certainly a widespread phenomenon. Not only is there sort of an ideological focus on diversity, equity and inclusion that contains all sorts of um, kind of politically charged assumptions being put into university curricula or made a uh, requirement uh, in university hiring. There's also just blatant discrimination. That happens, and it happens a lot, and this is a prime example. So, John, given the fact that this is illegal, not just something that doesn't pass the smell test, the I guess the only thing that really happened as a result of this so far is the psychology faculty has been barred from hiring tenured staff for two years. Is that enough? Is that good enough in, in terms of the fact that they have violated so many things? I, I think the story is far from over, and it's interesting. So to give you a timeline, I was given a tip about this in March of 2023. I filed a public records request in early April, and I haven't received the documents uh, responsive to that request. They said they were going to give them to me uh, on December 14th, but then in an email on December 14th, they said, actually, we're not going to give them to you yet. We're going to give them to you in April. So a full a full year of waiting. But what's yeah. really interesting is that, yeah, the, the consequence has essentially been that the psychology department uh, uh, was blamed exclusively for these practices. And, you know, it, it's not even clear that the person who was not hired is getting any kind of remediation at all. You know, this person is probably legally... Uh, uh, you know, entitled to large sums of money, but it, they made no indication that they're even going to do anything like that. But what's really egregious is that a lot of the practices that were used by the psychology department were documented in a guidebook mm. for faculty hiring. And that was advertised to the entire university. There is an administrator, kind of a diversity officer named Chadwick Allen, who uh, uh, was very clearly involved with the psychology department a good bit. Uh, there are videos of him basically saying that their hiring process is a, is a process, that, process that ought to be emulated by the rest of the university. The, there are uh, documented instances of deans passing around this document. Now, let me be clear. This document in the report that I acquired was declared to be in violation of UW's policy. But instead of UW, uh, uh, you know, P potentially uh, saying that we were we were wrong on a larger scale, 
they essentially just doled out some consequences to the psychology department. And it's pretty clear that nothing else has really changed. So I'm very interested in the, the documents that I'm going to receive uh, in a couple of months, provided that they actually give them to me rather than just uh, uh, kicking the can down the line once more. We're talking with the senior fellow at the National Association of Scholars, John D. Saylor. John, you know, I'm going to read something that uh, Barry put up, Barry Weiss put up at the Free Press. I know you're right for that as well. It says, uh, this is Barry Weiss in November. But DEI is undermining America and for what it stands, including principles that have made it a place of unparalleled opportunity, safety, and freedom for so many. Fighting it and fighting it is the least we owe this country. This DEI permeates so much of academics. We saw it when it came to Professor Gay's uh, answer regarding the genocide of Jews. And then even her sort of resignation letter, she used the word, my truth. And Yale's motto is veritas, Latin for truth, not anybody else's truth, but somebody's truth, my truth. We're starting to see more and more people sort of awakening to the fact that this DEI stuff is extremely damaging to America. Do you think you're, you've seen sort of the, the, the first chink of the, of the wall coming down and now it's beginning to, do you think it's going to start to flood through and then we'll clean all of the stuff out of these universities? Well, yes and no. I okay. think a lot of what's gone on in universities inexcusable and also indefensible. And the more it's exposed, which is exactly what I'm trying to do, exactly what Barry's trying to do, uh, the more people will not be able to defend it, just like ultimately Harvard professors weren't able to defend flooding gay. But at the same time, I think there's a there, there's going to be a big battle ahead because there are a lot of people who are still very much committed to this vision of the university, the university as a tool for achieving ideological ends. So I would say, uh, uh, you know, a lot depends on what we do, how we respond, how we hold these institutions accountable. John, one of the things that came out in the discussion was that they were talking about ways to, quote, think our way around the Supreme Court ruling, which barred affirmative action in colleges. Do you believe behind closed doors this is happening on a regular basis that because after the Supreme Court ruling, uh, people are saying, OK, w- let's find a way to still do what we're doing and not be in violation of this? I think faculty hiring is a great example of how that's been in uh, uh, the, the modus operandi of universities for a long time, because you have places like uh, California and Washington where the restrictions on considering race and hiring are even stronger than the restrictions enumerated in the Civil Rights Act, which itself is already very strong, saying, no, you can't hire on the basis of race. Uh, uh, These universities, for a long time, it has just been, uh, uh, you know, common knowledge that uh, faculty members, their race matters, their race is considered. In fact, while I was reporting for that first piece that I wrote for Barry Weiss a year ago, uh, one University of Washington professor told me, and I quote this all the time because I think it's, it, 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 it sums it up so well. He says, he said, every day the university wakes up and breaks the law. And now that doesn't mean that the decision means nothing. It's going to be harder for universities to discriminate in admission. But at the same time, it, it's on us to make to hold them accountable and to, to try to figure out what's actually going on. 
I've been really surprised by how much I have found just through the use of public records requests. And I really encourage you, keep looking out for more articles because uh, there are a lot of examples that I'm unearthing of, of exactly this kind of discrimination. I, I, would, I, I, I guarantee that it's going to happen, but universities are going to have to really evade a lot of scrutiny in order for it to happen to the extent it did before Students for Fair Admissions. There's an interesting sort of parallel. I'm going a little off, still on topic, but just taking it in a broader definition. And Barry Weiss is, uh, it, it reminds people to go over, and I think his name is Neil Ferguson. He wrote a piece, I think I got the author's name correct, and when people mm-hmm. are saying, well, where did this idea of being so anti-Semitic, where did that come from, this DEI and this stuff that's in these universities that these professors and these presidents can sit there and not, without any sort of equivocation, say that, yes, calling for the genocide of Jews is is abhorrent. Why can they not do that? And Ferguson talks about if you look at what Germany was like prior to Hitler taking control, it began in the institutions. It was they were thoughts. They were ideas that was professors that were slowly beginning to germinate this this hatred for Jews started in the universities. And then from the universities, it went from there to science and from science to government and then to the people of Germany. It's fascinating how he tracks it along that way. Now, of course, you have to sort of extend a little bit of imagination and some, you know, sort of thought work on it. But to think, do we have the same sort of germination of discrimination in DEI, in these universities, in these professors, not even realizing that they're in the, in the middle of it all and they refer to truth as their truth or someone else's truth. I don't know how you get that out of the universities. I don't know how you stop it. Maybe if they hired maybe the president from, um, I don't know, some other university to get in there to Penn um, or to get in there to Harvard to start to change it, but it's so ingrained do you feel like sometimes you're pushing a rock up the hill, John? Yeah. And, you know, there are two sides to the way that DEI uh, uh, allows for the spread of these kinds of ideas. First, some of the ideas that, that have fed into true anti-Semitism that we have seen on campus over the last couple of months are, are simply, um, you know, the extension of concepts related to, uh, you know, this this utopian progressive vision of social justice. So decolonization, you, you look at the way people are trained in uh, uh, DEI sessions on decolonization. And what do they say? They say decolonization is about respecting the sovereignty of indigenous people. And then you look at the way that uh, organization like students for justice in Palestine uh, instructs its chapter organizations to go out and protest uh, you know, very explicitly in favor of Hamas, just the day of the attack, saying that this was a victory. What do they say about decolonization? They say the exact same thing, that decolonization is about respecting and restoring indigenous sovereignty. Well, that's language borrowed from this concept. Uh, and we should not be surprised that a lot of people embrace it and take it to its logical extreme. But at the same time, mm. because we have... DEI offices, we have DEI requirements for hiring, um, often advocating for, for uh, 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 policies based on these concepts could actually be a plus, could actually be something rewarded professionally. Uh, and you see that yeah. again and again. There are rubrics out there for assessing faculty that say, 
you get you get a higher score if you've engaged in DEI activism. So there are there are guidelines for hiring professors in universities that would explicitly punish someone if they said, I believe in colorblind equality, and that would probably reward someone for saying, I went out and marched in a pro-Palestine uh, uh, protest, even if that pro-Palestine protest was explicitly pro-Hamas. There, there's, there's good reason to think that that would be rewarded. And so you have a situation yeah. where not only is it, is it uh, uh, you know, ideologically underpinning the, these ideas, but it's also rewarding it and creating a system where the only people who can get through are the people who believe that these kinds of things. And I think that's the pernicious thing. But those are also policies that can be undone, especially at state universities, where I think I, we have a little yeah. bit more hope that some reforms take place. Well, it is taxpayer supported. And I know that 1998, uh, when the referendum regarding hiring based upon race, the um, people of Washington said, yeah, we don't like that idea. So keep up, keep up the good work. Let us know if they ever do send you the uh, the information that you're looking for, because legally they're supposed to have it for you. They promised it on the December 14th. They still haven't given it, so you'll keep waiting. I know you're patient. Look forward to more work from you. Thank you very much, John Saylor. Over there, our fellow at the uh, National Association of Scholars. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. I will and shall. Good. First, I got to take the car to Bucky's Buggies Auto Service Centers. It's the place to take the car with uh, 16 locations. Can't go wrong. Been around for 53 years. Was the news that uh, they were thinking about taking Trump off the ballot? Is that what that was? Is that what uh, Aaron had? Yeah, about that. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Boy, Matt Markovich is going to join us tomorrow to sift through okay. that. Okay. Yeah. What a threat to democracy Trump is. Let's take them off the ballot. Oh, wait, isn't, isn't that a threat to democracy? Oh, well. Uh, okay, sure. I heard a little noise come out of you. <laughs> no, I, I was pondering it as you were. Hmm. Yeah. Sure hmm. seems like because it. Because he, he hasn't been not found guilty of insurrection. He hasn't been on trial for that. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, and by the 12th of November, 12th of March, whenever the, the primary would be here, he, he's already going to have the thing sewn up, so it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, the big debate is happening tonight. Um, Chris Christie has dropped out, so you got uh, Nikki and you got Ron going at it. They said it's just going to be a bloodbath. So are you be tuning in for that one, Sherry? Yeah, I probably will, because I've actually okay. found them to be uh, entertaining. Although Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis aren't nearly as combative as um, Chris Christie and Vivek uh, Ramos- Ramaswamy. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they, they were the ones. Yeah, he's they're both done. Did you hear the comments that he made off mic or in a hot mic about Nikki Haley? Yeah, that wasn't was that that outrageous that she's going to get toasted on the stage by Ron DeSantis? No, listen, that's really that big of a deal. That Chris Christie, Chris Christie probably would have said that on mic if he had known. Yeah, I think so. he was referring to the election in general. Oh, Really? Not she's not, not the a, debate? Oh, the, oh, the, she's the, not really, up to it, yeah. Really, oh, given the choice, the people would rather have Joe Biden than, than Nikki Haley. Well, or that Nikki Haley wouldn't be, yeah, she would not be up for the job of president. Okay, got it. Uh, uh, members of a Ecuadorian street gang. Were she married to a guy from Ecuador? Chile. Okay. I didn't know if he's involved <laughs> in this at all. 
And uh, they go into a TV station. They're going to break in there, and they, they grab the anchor, and then... One gang member even places a live grenade right next to the host. What are they saying, Sherry? You speak that language. What are they, what are they, what are they telling everybody, huh? I, I, I couldn't understand it. This isn't that unusual that people have break into TV stations and or news organizations, radio, or whatever, and then try to take over to take over the airwaves to be able to present an idea. This happened, I think, just a couple of days ago. It's happened before. In fact, it happened in a horrible movie with Julia Roberts and and um, what's his name, George Clooney. Good. Um, <laughs> I think I got it all beeped out. If you want to hear it, very similar to the situation. Mm -hmm. The guy breaks in. Here it is. Here it is. You got delivery? He's on the Don't set. Move. He's supposed to be like Kramer, you know, like the thing? stock picker. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh boy. Ah. Turn those cameras back on. Turn those cameras back on. Jesus. Whoever's in there, turn those cameras back on right now. I, I, I can't. Once I turn them off. You're lying. Turn the cameras on. I'm going to shoot him in his head. Turn those cameras on, Patty. Turn them off. Patty. Hey! This is this is early three. on in the movie. Swear to God, I'm this trigger. Hey! One. And I was yelling, "Keep the cameras off!" End the movie early. Turn, keep them off. Keep them off. Get out Don't while turn you them can. On. Get out. Are we live? Yeah. Yeah. All right, turn the cameras okay. off again. I'm gonna shoot him in his. There you go. So then what ends up, and I'm going to ruin it for no one's going to see that movie, but the guy's upset because George Clooney playing the part like Jim Cramer gave him bad stock tips, and then he lost all of his money, and now he's going to hold the guy hostage, and at the same time holding all of us hostage in the theater. That thing's a while ago. The only reason that brings up any memory for me, the last movie I saw with Nick in the theater, I said, I'll never go to another movie with you again. I said it was ridiculous. The script was horrible. Julia Roberts and George Clooney, so dumb. The, the, the weird. He's got a gun against his head. He's got a bomb strapped to him, and they're still like, hey, what? You know, whatever happens, I just want to let you know, you're still really great at what you do. <laughs> okay, thank you. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this thing in Ecuador is, is a result yeah. of a gang leader escaping from a high-security prison, and mm. he... I guess got the the gang together, and uh, they did all kinds of damage. I mean, all over. And uh, the the TV station was just one of the places that they hit. And like you said, they put even put a live grenade in the coat pocket of the main Oof. anchor. Did people tune in again the next day to see if they do it again for just to sort of spur ratings? No one got killed in the thing. No one got killed, but they were on the air live for fifteen minutes. And then they finally, um, the SWAT team came in and, and took them down. We were doing live for uh, Northwest Harvest. We were doing a live broadcast on a Saturday. I think it was before Thanksgiving. And we we're all these different locations for King 5. And we happened to be, I think it was in Kent. I think it was in Kent. And uh, we're in front of U.S. Bank. And I was there with Ken Kirkpatrick, the president of U.S. Bank. And I'm interviewing him about why U.S. Bank is so involved and how important it is to give. And, oh, the whole, you know, everybody's behind it. And, yeah, we're really, you know, trying to get people, come on down, say hi to Ken, meet me. We'll pick up canned goods, you know, non-perishable. And, and all of a sudden, the person runs by and goes, we just got robbed. And they took the tape from us because the guy that robbed U.S. Bank 
ran right behind the camera after he broke into U.S. Bank while we were live on the air, ran behind us, and then ran, jumped in his car, and drove off. It's like, wow, check that out. Of course, we didn't even hear it or see it, even though it had happened just behind me. I was so focused, Sherry, as a professional, <laughs> mentioning canned goods, peanut butter, and diapers. He didn't That's even right. give you a baba booey? No. The weird thing is, like, you run up to rob a bank, and then don't you notice there's, like, a camera there and lights and the satellite truck? And I guess he's like, I've already got no, this but U.S. bank, a- you know, cleared out. I know exactly yeah. where I need to go. Yeah. And it's perfect because there's so much distraction going on. Everybody wants to look at the camera. Everybody wants to see what's going on outside. Bubba it's boom. a great okay. time. All right, Sherry. A lot of the people wanted to meet me. If that's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, some excitement there. And then the other one is KTTH Jason Rance joins Fox News to cover the story. Chicago crew. Oh, yeah, the, the Chicago crew that was robbed while doing a live broadcast about how dangerous Chicago is. <laughs> they end up getting robbed. Some sweet irony. Yeah. We went up to Vancouver, B.C. to do a story on car break-ins. And while we were there, got a car broken into and they stole all of our equipment. <laughs> We had to do the whole thing with hand puppets at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was effective. It was. Hand puppets, Wait, do, they don't need good do, lighting. Everything's good, right? They don't I need mean, a makeup artist. You get hit the eye guy. You, yeah. He's right. still in the car. <laughs> Come back here. Oh, oh. And they're easy to easy to apprehend. So Yeah, you just have to make sure good. different voices. Hey, don't, don't rob me. What? Like that. Right. I'll work right. on it. Let's be honest, Sherry. Study reveals the most common things that people lie about us, although the average person lies one to two times a day. Other studies said, oh, come on, they're even lying about that. Um, but what are the most common things people fib about, according to it's the not survey? What, yeah, it's not what you think. What peop, most people lie oh. about is themselves. They lie to make themselves look better. Well, you would uh-huh. think that the lies might be something that you would do not to hurt somebody's feelings or, uh, you know, give somebody a compliment you don't really mean. The, the majority of lies are either to embellish a story because you want to look funnier mm. or braver or smarter or something like that. Um, uh-huh. And they they did a, a like a big study and 285 volunteers, and they kept track of their Oof. lies during the day. I know, enormous. Uh-huh. Uh, and they had to keep track of what when they lied. 22% of them uh-huh. told a self-centered lie most of the time. And that was to inflate their success, their achievements, all, all of those things. Uh, only mm. 8%, though, told a lie to protect someone. So the, the majority of people, though, didn't lie at all. There was nothing to lie well- about. They, it, there's an adage that if you lie, if you... T- you don't tell somebody the truth, you're only doing yourself a favor. But if you tell the person your truth, you're doing them a favor. That if you withhold the truth from the individual that they're asking for the truth, it's only so that you feel better so that the person is not, they don't look at you as somebody that's caused them pain. But we can't have a life where sort of a misanthropic life where we're always telling everybody exactly how we feel. We all agree that there's sort of this, you know, gauzy, hazy, you know, uh, film between 
the other person that really wants the truth and you feeling the responsibility to tell them the truth. Like, do I look fat in these jeans? I mean, come on. If that's not a trap, you know, you lie on that one. You lie about a bunch of stuff in order for everybody to just sort of get along to don't don't really offend anybody. Because No, really, honestly, just tell me the truth. People don't really want the truth. No, they don't. That's like when someone asks you to read something they've written. They don't want your feedback. They want you to validate it. They want you to say, what? Hello, Hemingway. I mean, they want you to be, <laughs> they, they want you to be supportive, even though they say they, they don't. Uh, but liars have lower self-esteem, according to this study. And it's not that they go into it with lower self-esteem, that the act of lying itself lowers your self-esteem because you know you're lying. You know you're not telling mm. the truth, and then you feel bad about yourself. 27% of people lie to the dentist about the fact that they floss. Um, and by the way, the dentist knows when you floss or don't floss. They can tell. So you look, oh, yeah, you floss regularly? Because for the longest time, the, I did, the dentist would say, do you floss? Yep. And I was lying. And then finally, about two years ago, I said to this dentist, said to my dentist, um, so you floss regularly? No. Don't floss at all. Hate flossing. Can't stand it. Last thing I'd want to do, I'd rather pick up, like, teeming piles of of dead animals on the side of the road with maggots crawling in and out of their uh, orifices <laughs> than floss yeah it's about that bad when you floss uh and and nothing happened right <laughs> no i just like to be honest with them they know and the other thing people lie about all the time is books that they've read if you ask did you read this book there's a number one book people say they read is alice in wonderland 1984 by george orwell and then people have the audacity to lie that they read war and peace it's like oh lord really do you think anyone <laughs> but like you, you know tolstoy's war and peace you're like oh yeah 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 i read that no yeah. no you didn't Nope, no, they didn't. And guys lie about how much money they make, how fast they drive, how many partners they've had, their golf game, fishing, any sort of thing you can add a few inches to, add a few pounds to, add a few dollars to. Nick's theory is every time you, every time I, she asks me a, like a difficult question, she either subtracts three or adds three. Who doesn't want a few more inches? Exactly. <laughs> Guy's brilliant, whoever that is. Yeah, and I think women lie. They lie about different things. They lie about their weight. They lie about things um, about their kids. Saying that what their, about kids their kids are... Like how many well, kids they... they have? No, no, no. About their kids' achievements. Haven't you ever talked uh -huh. to anybody like that where so-and-so is the captain of this and somebody else is the uh, yeah, emperor yeah, yeah. of something and, you know, and, you, and the dog has braces? I mean, you're like, really? Your life's that perfect? Yeah. Wow. I, I love the fact my mom was so straightforward on all sorts. We'd bring home the, you know, the school pictures and mm -hmm. she'd go, eh, not this year. Your, your teeth are getting too big for your face. We missed it. Two years ago, we should have taken the photos. <laughs> Point out my mom. Don't I have other qualities, mom? She's like, yeah. I mean, none that come to mind right now. But you know, you're you're, you're, you're gonna you'll be all right. Oh, God, I wish my mom had Keep done the that. Self-esteem down. Yeah. Oh, really? There was this one. Long, yeah, one picture, and I don't know if I was in second grade or third grade or maybe I don't know. Anyway, I had a cold, so I oh. had a stuffy nose, and the picture is of me with my mouth open, like trying to breathe, no smile, no nothing, just me. And of course, she sent them all out to everybody. Remember how they would always send the little school pictures? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and you get the little one for the wallet, do the big ones, yeah. the eighth of a hit, right? There she didn't care. She said, I'm like, I looked at it later. I was like, I need my adenoids removed or something. What is that? 